desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and, an angel, and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have, love, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not boast, envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Thank you, Kaylee. We are continuing in our study of unity in the church from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter of the Bible. I remember that being taught that as a preteen and uh, hearing those verses read that we just heard, hearing them when I started dating that this is a description of real love and this is as you're looking for a girlfriend or if you're looking for a boyfriend, you're looking for a mate, these are the characteristics of genuine love that you need to be looking for. And all that's good. I mean, this is the typical passage that's read at Valentine's banquets each year. By the way, I'm praying that we can have a Valentine's banquet again in 2021. Wouldn't that be a blessing that the, all the restrictions are lifted and we can have things like that again. And we'll probably read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because that's the love chapter of the Bible. Um, when you have a marriage conference, you know, somewhere along the way, you talk about genuine love. And so you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is how you're supposed to love your mate. And the husband looks at the wife and says, you don't treat me that way. And the wife looks at the husband and says, you don't treat me that way. Now, I'm not saying that we should not use these chapter, this chapter for those reasons. All that is good and we need to listen to that. But did you ever consider, just think about this, the Bible says that God is love. You know how God loves you? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because those descriptions of what genuine love are is a description of what God's love is like for you and for me. You think, nobody loves me. God does. And He loves you just like that. Praise God for the love of of God and that our God, our God is a loving God. By the way, you want to know what makes Jehovah God different than all the other so-called gods that are worshipped in the world? They do not have a God who is love and who loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die for our sins so that if we believe in Him, we would never be separated from God we would have the gift of eternal life. And it is eternal. It is everlasting. 
That is the love that our God has for us. That's the love that our God has for you. If you don't know Him, maybe He brought you to this service this morning. Maybe He had you turn on your TV or your computer this morning and watch this service just so you could understand how much He loves you. The primary application, though, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 ties it together with the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians. We've talked about the fact that at the church at Corinth, there were all kinds of divisions and cliques and arguments, disagreements. People were very proud. This section that we're dealing with, chapters 12, 13, and 14, have to deal with spiritual gifts. And people were very proud of the gifts that they had been given and how they could use them, how they could demonstrate the power that God had given them. And yet, he says, let me tell you the best way. Now, in chapter 12, we talked about that those gifts are given for the benefit of the entire body. And just because you're an arm doesn't mean you don't need a leg. Just because you're an eye doesn't mean uh, that you don't need somebody who's an ear. It takes every part of the body for the body to function properly. Quit arguing about what your abilities are and what your giftedness is, what you can't do. Quit focusing on what you can't do, by the way, and focus on what you can do for the benefit of the body of Christ. But then he says, let me tell you the best way. Let me explain to you the best spiritual gift. And that best spiritual gift is love. And the primary context, the primary application of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is for you church members and how you're supposed to treat one another. It's not just for you husbands and how you're supposed to treat your wives. Now, she would like for you to do that, uh, right? Come on, ladies. You don't get many chances to say amen, and I just gave you one. You would like for your husband to treat you that way. There are a few people awake. And husbands, you would like for your wife to treat you that way. But understand, and I want you to think about that as we, as we look through this study about love, understanding that Paul wrote this to you. He wrote it to every member of Faith North Little Rock, Faith Baptist Church of North Little Rock. He wrote that to you and to me because this is how we're supposed to be treating each other. I want you to notice about what he said um, that I want you to think about the priority of love. The priority of love. He says in those first three verses, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I don't have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I 
gain nothing. Understand, he's saying that love is the best gift and it is a better gift than all the other gifts together. It is the gift that is the primary gift, the important one. If, if I am theologically astute, if, if I understand all the theology of the Bible, but I don't have love and I do not demonstrate the love of Christ, my theology is a waste. It's no good at all. The number one statement of our doctrinal statement is that we should love one another. It is, in fact, the highest command that Christ gave the church, that we should love one another. Love is more important than theology. Tom, turn my monitors up just a hair, please. Thank you. Um, more, it's more important than our giving. doesn't matter how much we give. If we're not loving each other and not demonstrating love, our, our giving is just empty. It's just a waste. It's more important than our sacrificial service. Praise God for those who serve. And I've recognized that this morning. But love, sacrificial service, without the demonstration of love, without love to be the foundation of that service, is self-serving. Did you ever think about that? Sacrificial service to God must be loving service. If there's no love of others involved and no love of God involved, it is self-serving and it is meaningless. The church members loving one another is the foremost command of Christ and it is the very fab fabric of which the unity of the church is built and is made. There cannot be unity without church members loving one another. Well, I want you to then to look at the characteristics of genuine love. That's where we usually focus our attention. By the way, if you've got the worship guide, you've got about 15 blanks to fill out today, so you're going to have to, you can't go to sleep today and fill in the blanks. Um, and I'll, I'll try to pause long enough for you to be able to write the words. He says, first of all, that love is patient. I thought about how do you illustrate that, being patient with one another. By the way, later on, he'll say it's not irritable. That's, that's saying the same thing again. But Kim, I thought about, um, well, why am I calling your name? You don't have any grandchildren. But <clears throat> I, I thought about that when you talk about being patient, that's how a grandmother treats the grandchildren. Right? Come on, parents. Your mom and dad will let your children get away with things that they never thought about letting you get away with. Right? That, that's patience. That is the kind of patience. Sandy, did you just get poked in the ribs? Uh, <clears throat> that is what love is like. It's like how a grandparent treats the grandchildren. Not only that, but love is kind. You know, I, I thought about a guy who's a friend of mine, and somebody needs to write on his tombstone when he's gone, he was the nicest man I ever met. Think about that. My thought when I think of him, when my, in my 
mind I see his face, I think he was the nicest man I've ever met. There are a whole lot of Baptists who need to be told, just be nice. Sometimes we're not nice. We're not kind in our speech, in our dealing with each other. We need to be kind. We need to be patient, but we need to be nice to each other. Not only that, but it says about love, that love does not envy. You know, the last commandment of the ten is that we should, we should not wish to have things that other people have. It has to do with covetousness. That's, we call that envy. Um, I grew up, Charles, I think the old saying is, I wish I had his car and he had a wart on his nose or something to that effect. That was the old example of, of covetousness or envy. And yet, if we would be honest, we all have a problem with envy. We all have a problem with covetousness. And that causes problems in our relationships, and especially relationships in the church. Love, real love, genuine love, does not envy. Neither does it boast. Love does not boast. Nobody likes a braggart. Somebody who brags on themselves. Let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you what I have. By the way, boasting promotes envy. You're boasting because you want somebody to be envious of you. Nobody likes a braggart. But let me tell you something. When we start boasting and we realize that that's what we're doing, whether, even if we realize it or not, when we're bragging, when we're boasting, we are stealing God's glory. Paul said, I will glory in my weakness. Uh, the Bible says, that for him that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. We don't have anything to boast about. Everything we have has come from the hand of God. And we have no reason to brag and no reason to boast. And genuine love does not boast. Boasting and envy create division in the church. Love does away with boasting and love does away with with envy. Not only that, but it says that love is not arrogant. Now, some translations say love is not proud. We, we have a problem with that in our society because it's a bit of a quandary. Am I not allowed to say that I'm proud of my children? Am I not allowed to say that I'm proud of my wife? And so that term pride is sort of a double-edged sword. At what point does it become wrong to be proud of our children? Proud of, proud of, proud. I'm proud of my church. Proud of my church members. Does that mean I'm sinning against God? Only when I become arrogant. I think that the old meaning, the biblical meaning of pride is arrogance. I'm proud of what I'm proud of. I'm arrogant about what I'm proud of. I'm arrogant about the things that God has blessed me with. Arrogance will get you in trouble probably quicker than anything else in this list. 
And nobody likes someone, again, all those old sayings keep popping into my mind. I try to stop them, but they, you know, you, you've heard them all your life. And if he were out in a rainstorm, he would drown because his nose is always stuck in the air. You've heard that? Be careful about arrogance because love is not arrogant. And when we treat each other with arrogance, we are not, we are not demonstrating the love of God that we should have one for another. Not only that, but love is not rude. Uh, I, I pick from various translations to get a sense of the word that you and I would be most familiar with. And different translations express this in, in various ways. In the NIV it says, love does not dishonor others. When you're rude to someone, you are putting them down. It's like saying, I mean more to God and I'm more important than you are. And so I can treat you. You do not deserve to be treated well, I can treat you any way I wish. That's not loving. That's not godly. That is, in fact, ungodly. And we need to be careful about being rude to other people. Um, my staff will tell you that we talk about this almost every week. Uh, they're sitting over there nodding their heads. We, we On staff, we talk about this almost every week in staff meeting because it is tremendously important that we all treat each other with respect and with kindness. Love is not rude. Not only that, but, but love is not selfish. Uh, NIV says self-seeking. That means you don't promote yourself. That means you're not always trying to get your own way. It means that you do things for the sake of others, thinking, number one, thinking of God. Number two, thinking of others. And thinking of yourself last. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. And that's what love leads you to do. Love is not selfish. What's the opposite of selfish? It's generous. And it's also love. Love is not selfish. Not only that, but it's not irritable. It's not irritable. Or uh, one translation says irritable or resentful. The fact that I put nothing there must usually means that's the ESV. If, uh, if not otherwise noted, I'm preaching out of the ESV. It's not irritable. Walter told me this morning, you need to fly, start flying your drones again. If Brenda were here, she'd say amen. She knows what that means. I'm a lot easier to get along with when I can check out and fly my drones. Because when you're flying a drone, I guarantee you, you can't think of anything else. You have to totally concentrate on flying that drone. Otherwise, you're going to run into something, crash and burn. Uh, you have to totally, I can't think about the work I have to do. I can't think about the sermon I've got to preach. I can't think about 
anything except flying the drone. And every member of my staff is sitting here nodding their heads when I say I need to start flying my, my drones again. I get the impression I might have been irritable lately. <clears throat> Thank you, Shelly. Shelly said, no, no, you lie. <laughs> Love's not irritable. It doesn't react in a bad way. It is not irritable. It was said of Nabal the Carmelite that he was a fool and so hard-headed and hard-hearted that nobody could talk to him. He was an irritable man. Some of us know people like that. Some of you may feel like you're married to somebody like that. Listen to me. Love is patient and love is kind and that means that love is not irritable. Not only that, but it does not keep a record of wrongs. Some of us are very good at math and accounting. We can keep up with every wrong that everyone has ever done to us at any point in our life. We are keeping score. Now, if it's a hogs game, keep score. If it's a baseball game, keep score. But in a marriage and in a church, you don't keep score. We need to be forgiving. We need, the Bible says that we need to be as forgiving of each other as Jesus Christ is of us. You want God to forgive you? You better be forgiving of people who have offended you. It scares me to think how many of you I might have somehow, someway offended and all I can say is, I told you I was human before all this started, before you called me. I told you that somewhere along the way I would mess up. You, we have to forgive one another and quit keeping score. If you're keeping score of offenses in your marriage, today is the time you need to tear up the record and throw it away. If you are keeping score in this church, of all the ways that I or someone else has offended you, today is the day you need to tear up the record keeping and throw it away because love does not keep a record of, of wrongs. Neither does love rejoice in evil. Now, there's a lot of different ways that this is expressed in different translations. It says, love does not invite... Delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Another translation says that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Still a third translation says love does not rejoice in injustice. It's all true. All of those evil, wrongdoing, injustice. Somebody's been treated badly and we rejoice in it. That's not Christian. One of the characteristics, the countercultural characteristics of Christianity is that we're told to love our enemies and that we are not to rejoice when bad things happen to those who have treated us badly. We are to love them and we are to pray for them. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, in injustice, does not rejoice 
in evil. But as the verse says, same verse, love rejoices in the truth. It's, we rejoice when truth is told. We rejoice when justice happens. You see, there's, there's two sides of that coin in the verse. Uh, love doesn't do, delight in injustice, but that means it rejoices in justice. It rejoices when truth prevails. It never rejoices in a lie, but it rejoices in the truth. By the way, that also means to me, when I think of, of, of what Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? Another verse says, thy word is truth. Listen to me, we ought to rejoice when the truth of the Word of God is taught and preached in our church. Let it be known that the Bible, the Word of God, is our all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. We do not need any other rules or regulations other than the Word of God. And when the Word of God is preached and taught, we rejoice because love rejoices in the truth. Not only that, but love never gives up. That's the translation literally from the NLT, the New Living Translation. And I think that's a good expression of what the verse, that's a good translation of what the verse is teaching. Love never gives up. He never gave up on me. Amen? Somebody said one time, it's a very famous quote, that no one should, should hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once. That's a good challenge, but Kelly, I'm glad that's not the way it works. I'm glad that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ multiple times. I'm glad I had more than one chance to get saved. Because I didn't get saved the first chance I had. Maybe you're sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, whether it's in this auditorium or on the live stream. And God has now given you another chance to be saved. He is, you are hearing about His love. He is sharing with you that He loved you so much that He wants to be your Savior. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to give you the gift of eternal life. And one more time, one more time, you get to hear that message. Listen, let this day be the day that you come to Jesus for salvation. He has not yet given up on you. Neither should we give up on each other. Because love never gives up. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always endures. Love doesn't give up. It maintains hope. And it endures on and on and on. Remember that this is a description of the love of God for you, but it's also a challenge. If you go back through that list, those of you who wrote them down, I see Joe flashing his pen, he wrote them down. Some of you have written these down. 
Look at your worship guide where you wrote the characteristics of love on the piece of paper. And think about, how am I doing on that one? If I had to score myself between 0 and 10, then that's what they're always asking to do on, on, on feedback and on evaluations. From, on a scale from 1 to 10, when, where 1 is awful and 10 is perfect, where do I score on that characteristic of love? You say, well, that's ridiculous. I shouldn't have to do that. Hey, that's why Paul wrote it to you. That is the purpose. You evaluate how am I doing as a member of Faith Baptist Church in my relationship of other church members. Because the church at Corinth was failing when it came to love. They were proud of their spiritual gifts. They were proud of their church. And they were absolutely failing the love test, the most important test of all. What would you score? If you had to send in that list with the numbers written on it, what grade would you get? What grade would I get? Does that describe you? Does Do those characteristics describe your love for others? Here's the biggest question of all. What are you going to do about that? I, I hate to sound like Dr. Phil. I, I always, every time I say something that Dr. Phil would say, I think, oh, I sound like Dr. Phil. That's awful. I hate to sound like Dr. Phil. But it's important. You, I've asked you to grade yourself. That does no good at all unless I say, well, what are you going to do about that? That's what sermons are for. This is not just for our entertainment. This is to bring change from the Word of God by the Spirit of God in our hearts and in our lives. And i got to tell you, it ought to be convicting for us to write down those characteristics of love and think about our grade and how we're doing. And there's not a single one of us who could not do better. How did you do? What are you going to do about it? There is one other thing though. And that is the endurance of love. The endurance of love in those final verses. He tells us that love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, that's one of the other gifts, they will pass away. As for tongues, that is languages, the gift of speaking a language you have never studied, please understand that that word tongues is not a special biblical word for, that means something else. It is the common Greek word that meant in that day and this day, languages. It's a gift of language, speaking a language that you never studied. And as for that gift, it will cease. The gift of special knowledge, knowing something that you never studied, knowing something by inspiration, it will pass away. But listen, love never ends. 
God's love for you is endless and enduring. Man, that ought to make us shout. Praise God for how God loves us. But that same love is an example for us of how we ought to love one another. Not only does love never end, it is not incomplete. It is not partial, temporary, or incomplete. Notice it says, now our knowledge is in part. It's partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection, literal translation would be, when that thing which is perfect is come, these partial things, these temporary things, these incomplete things will become useless. What he's talking about is that those gifts, realize that in that day they did not have the complete Word of God. Instead, they were given spiritual gifts that would help to mature them and enable them to know the truth of the Word of God. But when the complete Word of God, inspired of God, the Bible says of itself that it completely furnishes us, completely and thoroughly, perfectly and thoroughly furnishes us to every good work. It is not partial and it is not complete and neither is the gift of love. It's not temporary. It's not incomplete. It's not partial. But faith, hope, and love, these three last forever. That's what he says. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Listen, I need you to understand, and you need to understand, God loves you, and His love never ends. Not only does He love you with an endearing, an enduring love, He wants to give you that same kind of love for one another. This, I, I thought about whether saying this, understanding that there are people on the live stream and there are guests here who might not get this, but all of you understand, for the past year, we have tried to create in Faith Baptist Church a culture of love. I've seen the fruit of that. I've seen that change in culture take place. Have you seen it? Have you seen a change in the culture of our church that it is more loving, more kind, that we see more of these characteristics? My question is, have you joined into that? Have you been a part of that? One of the things that I thought about when I wrote this down is that the devil has done everything he can to tear up the love in Faith Baptist Church. He's made us fearful and afraid. He's made us suspicious of one another. He's made us social distance. He's kept us home and away from our love fest together, the assembly of the, of the Lord's church. The devil has done everything he can to tear up the culture of love in our church. Don't let him do it. Don't give him the victory. 
resist him and be a loving church. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling and it's not an emotion. Love is a choice. And I would challenge you today to take a step of deciding to be a loving disciple of Jesus Christ. If that means since you've never, become, you've never become a disciple of Christ, you've never been saved, you've never repented of your sins and come to Christ in salvation. That means coming to Him today, bowing before Him, repenting of your sins, admitting, I'm not good enough, Lord. I'll never make it to heaven as far as it depends on me. I'll never make it. I need you, Lord. I need you. Forgive me. Save me. Give me the gift of eternal life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. If you've never done that, whether you're here on the live stream, this is the day. Today is the day of salvation.